Once the rising star of the social media world now facing complete obliteration, the Trump administration has announced they may actually ban TikTok in the United States following reports that China uses it to spy, or as they put it, the US users may be seeding info to Chinese communists. You know, I'm reminded of the video game Fallout. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there's a line in all of these games where they say, war, war never changes. Well, that line is wrong. In fact, war does change. We have been faced with the potential for real conflict with China for some time now. After a few tit for tats kind of at the South China Sea, nothing really militaristic or physical, but there's been, say, the lasering of a U.S. reconnaissance plane. There have been elephant walks, destroyers, and there's a serious concern about China, but maybe, maybe invading Taiwan. We know that China has been making some very serious moves against Hong Kong, recently passing a national security bill, which has many Hong Kong residents worried that their rights are going to be stripped away. We face a real potential for conflict with China because we've long been at odds with them and they are a growing superpower. There's something I've referenced several times called Thucydides Trap. And it basically says that when a rising power seeks to displace or is on path to displace the power, war breaks out. So war won't appear the same way that we're used to necessarily. Information war will be a huge factor in how we actually decide decide these battles and who gains control of certain areas, who controls resources. And perhaps there won't be a hot war between us and China. Perhaps it will be strange manipulation of young people through social media apps. TikTok may be banned. TikTok was banned in India. And this had some pretty strange effects. One young person reportedly took their own life and it suggested it was because of the ban on TikTok. In response to the announcement that TikTok may be banned, several people on the app commented, this is their life. No, and they're freaking out. You see, I don't believe that TikTok is a legit platform. And I'll give a better explanation of how I think social media apps manipulate people into thinking they actually have a user base. But I believe they use addiction tactics to trick people into thinking that something good is happening when they use these apps, when in reality, they're probably talking to bots. Young people are being essentially mind controlled in a sense, made to be addicted to this system that is social media for some kind of monetary or political benefit. The big risk here for the United States is that if TikTok really is spying on people and using addictive tactics, they risk, or I should say we are at, are at risk of creating a generation dependent upon some kind of addictive system controlled by China. So perhaps as much as everybody doesn't want to hear it, banning TikTok may be the right move. But how about we do this? Let's take a look at the news and see what's actually going on. And then here's what I'm going to do for all of you at the end of this video. I'm going to explain to you the manipulation technique used by tech companies to, to trick people into using their platforms to essentially mind control them to get new users. It's pretty fascinating stuff, but it's not necessarily the news. So I'll save it for the end. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate. If you would like to support my work, there's many ways you can give. There's a PO box if you'd like to send some stuff, but the best thing you can do, share this video. Many people are probably wondering why TikTok might be banned. Maybe you, you, uh, maybe you use it. Maybe you don't. It's very popular among Gen Z. Admittedly, it does not have a very large user base relative to other apps in this country, but it is still one of the biggest at around 34 million users. If people are now freaking out about this, maybe they need to know why, you know, why this is happening. 
Now, if you just want to watch, hit the subscribe button, the like button, the notification bell, and let's read the news. Fox News reports Pompeo warns of potential restriction of Chinese TikTok app. U.S. users may be seeding info to Chinese communists. They report Pompeo told the Ingram angle that he and President Trump are taking the report seriously after host Laura Ingram said India had already banned the app and Australia is considering doing so as well. We are taking this very seriously and we are certainly looking at it. We have worked on this very issue for a long time. Whether it's the problem of having Huawei technology in your infrastructure, we've gone all over the world and we're making real progress getting that out. We had declared ZTE a danger to American national security, said Pompeo. With respect to Chinese apps on people's cell phones, I can assure you the United States will get this one right too, he said, adding that he did not want to dive into specifics and potentially get ahead of any presidential announcement. But it is something we are looking at. He said, going to warn Americans that they should be cautious in using TikTok lest they want their private information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, listen, that includes your email, your birthday, your password. Now, perhaps you use the same password on TikTok you use in other places. And if they want, they will steal your information. You do not have the same legal protections, you know, when it comes to a Chinese app that you would in the United States. If China gets access to all your information, and then seeks to, at some point, subvert the economy of the U.S., they could post all of the most embarrassing things about you and literally everyone else. And that would not be fun. Don't take my word for it, man. Just listen. Think about how simple it is. If you use the same password, and most people do, they have your email, they have your password, they have your birthday. I don't know if they actually have your birthday, but typically your login and your password, people, people repeat use, which means they can get into your email, they can get into your school, they can take your information. And how would you feel if one day you woke up and everything you've ever said to people was published? Think about <laughs> what well, you get the idea. All right, let's let's read on. Pompeo also responded to former Obama administration national security advisor Susan Rice and the potential 2020 Democratic vice presidential candidate uh, after Joe Biden slammed him for appearing to be uh, for appearing to be one of what she called sycophants and weaklings who purport, uh, purpo- purportedly refuses to properly advise Trump. I don't I don't care for reading into that argument between Pompeo and Susan Rice. I care about what's going on with TikTok. Now, check this story out. Back in uh, in March, U.S. senators were looking to ban TikTok on government cell phones over spying concerns. They said it was the latest attempt to rein in technology companies by Hawley, who has repeatedly clashed with big tech companies. The fears over spying by China have been around for a long time. Now, I want to show you something real quick. For those that have made it this far and you're still wondering, you know, what is TikTok? You may have seen this viral video where this uh, this feller here was eating dried ramen noodles, crunching on them and sprinkling, you know, the, 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 the seasoning onto them. While he corrected Chris Cuomo of CNN, this video went very, very viral on Twitter. So maybe you saw it. If you didn't, this is the gist of what TikTok is, okay? You have a video or something playing behind you, you talk or you dance. Some people make posts, sometimes they're political. In March, there was a serious concern that government agents, you know, politicians or otherwise, would be using it, and then China would steal that information. They reported two Republican senators on Thursday introduced a bill aimed at banning federal employees from using Chinese social media app TikTok on their government-issued phones amid growing national security concerns around the collection and sharing of data on U.S. users with China's government. The bill by Senators Josh Hawley and Rick Scott 
comes as several U.S. agencies that deal with national security and intelligence issues, including the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security, have banned employees from using the app. It is also the latest attempt to rein in technology companies by Holly. We get this. TikTok, as recently as June 29th, was found to be spying on you. Okay, let me, make that, let, me, let, me, let, me let me tell you what's going on. All right. If you use this app, maybe you don't care they're spying on you. I don't. Whatever. The, uh, the, the, the bigger issue here isn't necessarily the spying. They're going to collect data on you, your habits. They're going to use that against us because we are not we are not allies. I mean, look, to varying degrees, we cooperate with China. We've, not, we've had an ongoing trade war. There is a real concern over a potential hot war, meaning military action. But the current iteration of warfare involves cyber attacks as well as manipulation techniques. If they get people, whether they're spying on them or not, wrapped up in, a, in some kind of addiction on this app, they can then start manipulating your behavior in very horrifying ways. They can reward you with clicks and views if you say the right thing. This is a known tactic of the Chinese Communist Party in manipulating people into slowly giving in to their ideology. They won't. They, you, look, you'll say something where you're like, I don't think, you know, it matters that China's spying. And then all of a sudden you get 10,000 views and all these likes and new followers. And you're like, wow, but it's a trick. Now, I'll, I'll loop back to this, but let's talk about the spying issue for now. They say TikTok is still spying on iPhone users by secretly reading content saved to clipboard. Devices running on the beta version of Apple iOS 14 have revealed. They say the firm came under fire for snooping earlier this year and vowed to stop accessing devices clipboards, but users testing the new operating system found TikTok has not kept its promise. When the app access, accesses the clipboard on a device with iOS 14, a notification appears at the top and a video shared on Twitter shows that TikTok was looking at the clipboard every free strokes, even when it was running in the background. That means every time you copy something, a link, a message, something very private, you don't want anyone to know, anyone to know about, they steal it and they know about it. And this has been going on for some time. So let me just say to anybody who's listening, if you happen to be a young person using this app, I'm sure there are many things you've been privately looking at on your private device and you would not be happy to find out they know about it. They have it. And what would happen if they decided to share it? There's an idea, you know, about what happens when all of our private information is just published. Every message, every search, our browser history. There are jokes about people who are like on their deathbed saying something like, delete my browser history. Because we all search for things and go to websites we don't want anyone to know about. So what would happen? If everything you did on your phone was stolen by an adversary of the United States, they could easily disrupt our economy by releasing all of this data. Or like I mentioned, if they have your, your, your password, they can hack into all your stuff. And I'll stress for, the, for you again, how would you feel if your browser history was made public that anyone could just search for it? How would you feel if the messages you sent, every single one, was now part of a publicly accessible database? Chaos, I might add. But there is some good news. There is some good news for most Americans. It is not the biggest app in the world. They say in 2019, social video app TikTok had approximately 37.2 million users in the United States. This figure is projected to increase by about 22% year over year. So as of right now, they project around 45 million users. It's big. It is. Not the biggest. And if they make the ban now, perhaps they can do it soon enough before it's too late. Now, many of you may be angry. You may be saying, I have a following on TikTok, man. That's not fair. You can't ban me. Don't worry. 
I'm going to shatter your dreams in a very disgusting and offensive way in just a moment. It's not real. You need to understand this. It's not real. In fact, it's not real on many social media platforms. You've been tricked. You think you're famous. You think you have likes and views. You don't. You really don't. And that's a sad reality. But people refuse to accept it. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit more, but we'll break this down. I want to talk about the date. I've got I've got look, I want to ease into the reality of apps like TikTok because I don't want to freak people out too much who might be addicted to it. I'm showing you here Instagram users as of May 2020. There are approximately, I believe, what is that? A hundred and where's the number? 131 users by 2020, uh, 2022. They say Instagram is one of the most popular uh, sites. The photo sharing app most recently reported 500 million daily active users and 1 billion monthly active users. Okay, so I was way, way wrong on my number. I misread. 500 million daily active users. It is more than 10 times bigger than TikTok. Okay, so calm down. Now, in response to the spying scandal, we have seen anonymous hackers targeting TikTok saying, delete this Chinese spyware now. It is. Interestingly, Anonymous is not known to be a right wing organization, but to see Anonymous, which is not, you know, ideologically aligned for the most part, typically aligning with the left in agreement now, I should say Trump following suit over the spying allegations. We've got some unity here, man. And we do know that India actually banned uh, TikTok. Now, this this article from Wired tries to strike down the threat of China by saying that the ban by India dispels the myth of the China boogeyman. Bogeyman, they say, I'm sorry. The argument is that because TikTok is unregulated because it's spying, it's now being banned. That shows that people won't stand for what China is doing. Sure. I want to show you now something worrisome. And then I'm going to shatter the world of, of, of all of you who use TikTok. And I'm going to explain. Uh, yeah, l- l- let me just let me just show you this. This is from journalist Taylor Lorenz. She said TikTok room followers react to the news of the U.S. potentially trying to ban TikTok. There's people saying, no, what? No, bro, you're lying or Brie, you're lying. I keep ref- re- refreshing somebody. Bring me popcorn. H- uh, hell nah. Uh, well, then I won't really have a life. These are interesting posts, right? Let's not U.S. TikTok is literally my life. No. What am I going to do for 10 hours of my day now? These are people who are being manipulated and controlled because China understands the power of social media. And I got bad news. Like I mentioned earlier, you're talking to robots. You're not talking to real people. I've had this conversation with people who work in tech and with some high profile personalities who had been using this platform for a long time. I'm going to have to break some bad news to you. Uh, Allegations, mind you. Allegations. China. So Taylor says, from a source who is a Sway House neighbor, all is very quiet at the house. There is just some empty McDonald's chicken nuggets container on their sidewalk. Sure, whatever. But Taylor did tweet about this. After Saya Kakar, 18-year-old TikTok star dies by suicide, was suffering from depression, they say. No suicide note has been discovered by the authorities, but reports suggest that the ban on TikTok could have pushed her to take her life. According to the youngster's family and friends, she had been suffering from depression for a few months, and the TikTok ban could have been one of the triggers. They say last month, the government of India announced a ban on 59 Chinese apps that were listed on Google Play, and that included TikTok. Let me tell you a story. We're going to play this game, and then I'm going to show you what's going on. Several years ago, like many, many years ago, I had a conversation with some big tech personality, uh, uh, big, big tech funding individuals, and the conversation was around how to compete with the likes of Twitter, Reddit, Facebook. 
What I'm going to say to you now is I'm just going to for legal uh, for legal reasons, allegations, speculation as to what TikTok is, how they function, and not necessarily them specifically, but many social media apps, including the big players like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. This is the conversation in, it, in, in the gist of it. How is it that Reddit came to be as prominent as it is? Well, my, I, I, I'm going to just pre- make sure I'm prefacing everything with allegations and speculation and rumor for sure, but check, check this out. Look this up. There were conversations happening around techniques Reddit used early on and Twitter as well that they would use bots, accounts to to create fake interactions. So you felt like you were actually interacting with people and being rewarded for the things you were saying. Why would anyone use a social media network that no one else is using? It makes no sense. If I post and there's no one there to see it, why bother posting? To many people who have very few followings, they don't post either thinking if I'm going to post and no one sees it, why bother posting? In order to get around this problem, fake users are created. The fake users then interact with you. I'm, I'm going to be very careful for legal reasons as to, as to you know, what I talk about. But my understanding is that Reddit did use fake accounts. And I think this is widespread knowledge. You can look this up, that Alexis Ohanian, the, the, one of the original founders, was using fake accounts to interact with new users to make them believe there was actually a community here and the forum was working. This encourages them to come back, to keep posting, because if no one interacts, they get bored, they leave, right? There's no people here. Why go to a party when nobody's there? What if you thought people were there? Then you'd show up. So when certain apps came out relatively recently, I had many friends start telling me I had to get on this app because they were gaining so many followers. A few individuals I know who have very disengaged followings, but somehow a decent amount were bragging about how they had half a million followers on this particular app. And so I said, show me. And sure enough, the comments were all very obvious and generic. And I said, this is the technique described to me a long time ago. Here's what you do. In order to create a dominant social media platform, you create the app and you run some ads for it. You try and get, you you, you target young people on say Facebook You show them the app and you show young people in ads, you know, using these apps. Once the young people start using it, you slowly give them fake followers so they feel like they're becoming popular and what they're doing is working. This is a tactic of like any dealer. You give them a little taste and then you reward them. And when they do what you want, you give them bigger and bigger rewards. The conversation was basically this. If you were to run an ad campaign for a new social media app targeting high school kids, you know, as long as they're older than 13, but young enough to be impressionable, you could convince them to sign up and start making posts. Once they do, you have fake accounts interact with them, cheering them on, telling them they're really cool. You then start giving them slightly more followers than they could give on any other platform. Not too many, but just enough. It has to seem real. All of a sudden you end up with a 16 year old, 17 year old kid who's got 10,000 followers on your new app. They go to school and they say, (laughs) You guys are still using Twitter? That's so lame, dude. I'm over on this app over here and I got 10,000 followers. And they go, what? No way. You have 10,000 followers? Yeah, because I've been posting, man, and people really like my stuff. They feel good about what they're posting. You end up creating addicts who don't want to leave. You got to make sure you feed that addiction. Then the entire time you could potentially be spying on them, manipulating them. But more importantly, there is tremendous economic power in social media. You could be displacing other social media companies very, very easily by doing this. 
Once you have a decent amount of young people who are convinced they've become influential, they become extremely addicted to it. And, you, and there you go. You've pushed the snowball down the hill. You have very little to do at this point. You stop running the advertisements and you let these young people brag enough to boost your, your base. And there you go. All of a sudden you have young people saying things like, you know, oh, I don't, I don't use Instagram anymore because I have way more followers on this one. I don't use Snapchat anymore because I have way more followers over on this app. And then their friends jump ship and want to join too, thinking, oh man, I want followers. I want followers. And you do the same thing. You make sure certain ones get boosted. You want them to have a little bit more followers than anywhere else. You want them to feel like they're getting better interaction on your platform. And then once you've cast that off, you step back and let the snowball roll down the hill. Now you've got a new generation adopting an app that, that is not real with hundreds of thousands to millions of fake followers that no one can verify. And they think they're getting views. They think they're getting attention, but they're not. How many of these people can walk down a street these stars and actually have people say, I know who you are. I'm a fan. I would imagine relatively few, but I would also imagine that based on, you know, how far we've come with some of these apps and how long they've been around, they've now gotten a decent amount of active users that literally do exist. In which case you end up with addicts in India, for instance, taking their lives. You end up with people actually interacting, real communities forming, and then the fake system, you can, you can take away, you know, essentially the training wheels of your social media app and get people actually addicted and using it. And then over time, that younger generation uses your app, displaces, say, the likes of Facebook. I'm sure that Facebook will be very, very happy to know or or to hear that the U.S. is considering banning this app. But let me just tell you that social media addiction is a real thing. The tactics used by Twitter, by Facebook, and all these platforms are real and obvious. There's a reason why, why Twitter won't remove the like and the retweet count or your follower count. It's been talked about for years. Maybe we remove your follower count so no one knows how many people really follow you. The problem is it would destroy Twitter. People are rewarded by posting something and seeing those numbers. What do people not like on Twitter? They don't want to see a thousand replies and a hundred retweets. That's called getting ratioed. These numbers play a role and we have developed a culture around them. People want to see that if they say something, people amplify it and like it. It makes them feel good. I've talked about this problem with YouTube, for instance, that you can, you can tell when a YouTuber is losing views based on, or let me restart. Often you'll see a video from a YouTuber where they're like, you know, I've been working really hard and I just got to take a break. I don't know if I can do this job anymore. And they get all depressed and they're like, it's been so hard lately. All you got to do is look at their past few videos and you'll see their viewer count is going down. It really is an addiction. Every day they expect to get more views. That growth proves that what they're doing is working. And if they don't feel like what they're doing is working, they start to feel bad. They're being pulled down. And then eventually they snap and say, I can't do this anymore because they feel like they're fighting and climbing as hard as they can, but they're still sinking. And it could be for reasons that that's out of their control. And it's not really a bad thing. Maybe you made a, made a channel dedicated to like baking cakes. And then eventually the baking cake fad goes away. So people stop watching. Then these people feel like they're losing out. It's funny. Somebody who was once happy to have 10,000 views two years later now gets 200,000 views. Then a year later gets 100,000 and gets depressed saying, I'm just not getting those views anymore. Even though they're still getting way more than they got a couple of years ago, the addiction is real and people's emotions are tied to their engagement and interaction on these platforms. You can create an addiction and control an entire generation. And that's why it's really, social media is bad enough. 
let alone an app controlled by China. I'm not entirely convinced the app is uh, these legal reasons. I'm not entirely convinced some of these newer social media apps are legitimate based on who I've talked to and what I've seen. I really don't think so. I think a lot of young people are being manipulated into thinking they're actually engaging with people and they're not. Perhaps their immediate friends use it, but a lot of the wider interaction is probably not real. And this should be obvious to anyone. When you look at somebody who's active on, say, YouTube, how many views do they get versus somebody who joins the new and exciting app and then all of a sudden has this cascade of new followers and interactions? It's really obvious what these platforms are doing to manipulate young people into getting addicted to their platforms. Then what happens? They seed information, they manipulate your behavior, and they can control you. But the last thing I want to say on this, because we'll see if the ban ever actually takes place, is that there have been other issues with foreign interference and influence in our younger generations. Why is it that intersectionalism has become so prominent? The Democratic Party is being overrun with this far left ideology. Well, I'll give you one example. AJ plus a social justice lens on a world struggling for change. They were getting billions of views on Facebook only a few years ago. They're still relatively prominent. They are very far left intersectionalists, and this is a foreign state funded news operation. Why won't anyone call this kind of stuff out? Maybe it doesn't matter all that much. I kind of think it does. We have foreign organizations creating propaganda and manipulation uh, campaigns in our country to twist the minds of our young people so that in 10 or 20 years, when these young people are the leaders of industry, they will have warped views of the world and then we lose our position. Maybe it's better that the U.S. slowly slinks away than uh, as opposed to the possibility of a real World War III with China or something like that. Or maybe the United States needs to uphold the values of liberty and, de- and democratic institutions, the right of the individual. Otherwise, the authoritarianism of China will take over. And not just China, but other countries. I'm not entirely confident. I can see these, these manipulation techniques and these tactics taking over. Maybe it's too late to ban TikTok. Maybe you've already got 37 million people in this country who are addicted. I don't know. But I can say that it's a start. Maybe something needs to be done. We'll see how things play out. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Well, the hot news of the morning is that Terry Crews is awesome, and Don Lemon made a fool of himself, but I guess it really just depends on who you ask, because a lot of people think Don Lemon was right and Terry Crews was wrong. But I think from a rational, good-natured, moralistic position, Terry Crews was right. Now, what are we talking about? Terry Crews tweeted, Something about, look, there are, there are good white people, there are bad black people, there are good people and bad people of all types. And that's why he's going to work with people who are good for good things. He also talked about in the past that you can't let Black Lives Matter become Black Lives Better. He's been attacked for both of these tweets. And it's weird. His response was, if I issue a warning that, you know, we shouldn't do certain things and he gets a backlash for it, how can you have checks and balances to make sure the extreme doesn't take over? He pointed out that there are elements of Black Lives Matter that think they're better, that they're overtly racial supremacist. Don Lemon argues with him. And the interesting thing is when Terry Crews mentions black on black crime and violence in these communities, which we are seeing skyrocket in the face of Black Lives Matter, Don Lemon says, whoa, well, that's not what Black Lives Matter is about. And there it is. Black Lives Matter is not about general life or lives. It's specifically, according to Don Lemon, at least, specifically about police brutality. Now, hey, to a certain degree, I'm fine with that. If you want to talk about police brutality, accountability, 
I'm, I'm, I'm totally down. We shouldn't have cops breaking the law. And I think basically everyone agrees, unless you are a crooked cop and you want to be able to get away with crimes. I think 99.9% of people agree we want cops to do a good job. And if they can do better, do better. Police reform is widely popular for most people, but just reform, not demonization, not demoralization. Well, here's the big problem. We do have an escalation in violence across this country in response to Black Lives Matter. And this creates, well, it creates serious problems when you have a viral video now of a man walking with his six-year-old daughter. And for seemingly no reason, a guy reaches a gun out the window, shoots the man and holding his daughter's hand. One of the most shocking videos I've ever seen. And I'm from Chicago. You know what that means. We call it Chirac. They say, you know, it must have been a gang hit or something that this guy got shot in New York City. I've read and, I, and, I, and I, there's a lot of so fact check me on this one. There's a lot of confirmation that needs to happen. But apparently this dad walking with his daughter was just visiting the city from somewhere else. It seems like they just wanted to randomly kill someone. Does this guy's life matter? Now, look, I understand you want to talk about police brutality and you want to deal with these issues and call for reform 100 percent. But the problem is, as Don Lemon reveals, I'm sorry, man, I'm just going to say it. They don't really care about black life in general. It's just a slogan. It's just a brand. It's a reference to the in the single digits of people who have lost their lives in the last year due to police overreach or unaccountability are people who have who have uh, been killed and the cops were never held, held accountable. I mean, look, I don't think anybody is happy about what happened to Breonna Taylor. You know, you, we, we hear these stories. Not, it, according to the Wall Street Journal, it was nine unarmed black uh, men, I believe, were killed by police last year. We don't want to stand for any of that. Nobody should. And we should speak up against it. But we got we to gotta have a serious sit down and discuss what the results of all of this protesting and rioting will be. You cannot excuse the vandalism, the destruction, the rioting. You can't do it. People lost their lives in these riots. David Dorn was going to check out a, a call. His buddy's pawn shop was getting looted. They killed him, man, for what, a TV? Now, that guy's life mattered. What about these people? Terry Crews, he brings this up. He talks about these issues. And that's why he's been, he, he's the man. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, his tweets are, are, are on point. He talks about real equality. He talks about working together to solve our problems. And the scary thing is his point is proven that there are certain people in the Black Lives Matter movement who think they're better. It's proven when he gets attacked for simply saying, let's all come together. I want you to think about this, right? What Terry Crews is saying, I want you to imagine this. Everybody holding hands, rocking back and forth, singing a song under a rainbow. That's his like idealistic vision. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he's talking about everyone coming together to end the violence, and all this stuff. And then what happens? Someone like Don Lemon comes up and basically starts screaming. But what about these people? What about these people? Let me throw the Black Lives Matter argument from these leftists back in their own faces. They often say, why can't you say, like when you, when you, when you say all lives matter, they say, why can't you just say Black Lives Matter? The argument being black lives are in more need of help right now than other lives. But of course, all lives matter. That's their argument. That when you talk about the white people who have been killed by police unjustly, they say, but it's disproportionately black lives. I say, I completely agree. I totally get the math. This is something that's important for people to understand. There's a disproportionate amount of black people who are killed by police relative to their population size. You can get into arguments about why that is. That's, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. The Wall Street Journal certainly has those arguments. And I'm not saying it's, you know, look, I'm just giving you that point. There's a lot to break down there. But just for the sake of argument, let's take what they've said 
And now let's, let's move forward in support of Terry Crews' argument. It's very simple. You talk about Black Lives Matter, but it's actually the, the, the father in New York City who was gunned down. It's the children who are being killed in all this violence. These are the people who need help now. I understand you want to deal with police brutality, but you know what? There's a reason why Terry Crews is right. They, they use this comic where they show a house with a little tiny fire and then a house totally engulfed in flames. And they say, see, this explains it. Yes, we understand that white people and other races have a little bit of fire, but the first thing we got to do is put out the big fire, right? Okay. Well, now I want you to imagine a smoldering city, the whole thing just blown up. It's, it's much, much worse. Police brutality in the black community is a problem, in my opinion, that needs to be dealt with. We need to make sure cops are held accountable. Now, if you want to have an argument about the severity and scale, then we need to start talking about general street crime and urban violence because it's on the rise. So let me just put it this way to the Black Lives Matter people who would tell Terry Crews he's wrong. If you're arguing that you're, you putting out this one fire is the most pressing thing, but what's happening is the hose is spraying debris all over the place, which is damaging and starting more fire. I mean, that's a silly argument. But if your actions make things worse, then maybe we got to stop and, and have an assessment here. Because what's, what's going on now? Let me show you some of these stories. As they call to defund the police, abolish the police, as cops are being charged with crimes they didn't commit. I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Crime is skyrocketing. They're actually making the fire worse everywhere else. So it's like one step forward, two steps back. This is why it's important that we have people like Terry Crews call this out. 16 children have been shot, some killed in cities across the U.S. as violence spikes. In Atlanta, an eight-year-old girl was killed. Eight-year-old girl by Black Lives Matter individuals out across the street from the Wendy's where the Rayshard Brooks protests were happening. At a certain point, you have to ask the question, are you causing more harm by what you're doing than good? I, I, get, I get the sentiment. I understand all that. But violence has been going up. More people have lost their lives in the rioting for Black Lives Matter than unarmed black people died last year, according to, the, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, how does that make sense? More people dying. I don't get it. I don't. Check this out. Let's read the story. Terry Crews and Don Lemon clash in heated Black Lives Matter debate. Terry uh, they say the America's Got Talent host appeared on Monday night's show to discuss the backlash he's been receiving for his views on the movement, which have been heavily criticized. Sure, but they've also been heavily praised. You see how the Newsweek, how, how Newsweek chooses how to frame it. On Saturday, Cruz tweeted, are all white people bad? No. Are all black people good? No. Knowing this reality, I stand on my decision to unite with good people, no matter the race, creed or ideology. Given the number of threats against this decision, I also decide to die on this hill. My man, dude, Terry Crews is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Addressing his stance, Lemon asked why it was so important to die on this hill. Now, I do want to make one important point. A lot of people, I'm, I'm no fan of Don Lemon, okay? I am, I am the, the opposite of whatever a fan of would be. I don't want to say I'm a hater, but I'm not a fan of this guy. That being said, you got to understand that journalists often try to poke and prod and challenge an individual. It doesn't necessarily mean that Don Lemon disagrees with Terry Crews, though I think he does because he's an opinion guy. But I just want to make sure that's clear. You can often hear journalists ask challenging questions. It doesn't mean they support those positions. It means I want you to answer for these things that critics have brought up. That being said, I, I don't like Don Lemon. So Crews responded to Don Lemon. There's some very militant type forces in Black Lives Matter. And what I was issuing was a warning. I've been part of different groups and you see how extremes can go really far and go wild. When a warning is seen as detrimental to the movement, 
How can you ever have checks and balances? You know, the reality of life is that when you recognize your faults, you make yourself stronger. If you can reflect and say, here's our weak points, here's what's damaging us, you will make yourself stronger. Terry Crews pointing this out should improve the effectiveness of Black Lives Matter. Unless the elements within this group are manipulating it for violent and destructive ends. If they go, if they go around claiming that Black Lives Matter, and then Terry Crews says, what about these communities? What about these little ki- these kids? What about the, you know, these people who have lost their lives? And they attack him for it. The mask is slipping. They don't actually care about the life. They care about the cause. They care about their political ideology. If you are seeing an increase in crime due to the ongoing unrest, certainly that's not solving the problem. Certainly you are contributing to the problem you claim to want to solve. If you refuse to address that issue, I do not believe you actually want to solve that problem. He went on to criticize Black Lives Matter leaders for saying they will burn it down if they don't get their demands and expressed frustration at how his desire to work uh, with white people has been criticized. Black people wanting to work with other races are being viewed as sellouts. They're being called. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that. Sorry. You start to understand you're actually being controlled. Terry Crews just pointing out. I mean, even Snoop Dogg basically posted a bunch of racial slurs. They are. So uh, they, 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 they call people like Terry Crews names when he really does believe in justice and equality. He says the Black Lives Matter movement has gained momentum. Uh, they say the Black Lives Matter movement has gained momentum following you know, a number of high profile deaths. This we understand the George Floyd protests. Cruz spoke about, spoke about the Black Lives Matter movement, and how he thinks the leaders view themselves as better, echoing his earlier tweets last month. Lemon interjected, saying it's easy to paint movements as extreme, citing Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement in the 1960s. I don't want to move from one oppressor to the next, Cruz said. He also touched on black on black violence and said there are neighborhoods held hostage by people who are literally running them with violence and then claiming that black lives matter. Lemon questioned Cruz on what, what this point, on what his point black on black violence has to do with equality and explained that black lives matter focuses on police brutality and systemic racism. So why call it black lives matter? Why not call it and police brutality or police accountability or the reform, the police movement. If you have black people dying because of the unrest, communities being destroyed, businesses being burned down, then what do you really mean by that phrase? It's popular branding. That's what it is. And, and, I, and I'm sorry, man. I'm, on, I'm, I'm with Terry Crews on this one. Do you remember what happened to that dude in Minneapolis? He had the sports bar. It was his dream. He's a firefighter, upstanding member of the community, family man, everything that a good person strives to be. Uh, a firefighter. And that's what I'm specifically referring to. Someone helping others, risking their lives to be a hero. He saved up money. He opened a business. Before he could open it, COVID happened and he wasn't able to have his grand opening. Then the riot started and they destroyed everything and burned the building to the ground. I can only imagine what what's going through this guy's mind. Now, now mind you, I think he raised over like a million dollars uh, from people who wanted to see him have his dream fulfilled because he was an innocent victim. But many other people in these communities lost their businesses and will never see them recover. When these riots happen, people leave. Economic, uh, uh, the, the economy of the area halts. Businesses are destroyed. They never come back. Jobs never come back. And they were already ravaged by COVID. What about all those lives? I understand you mean that they're like, you're talking about death and destruction. What about their just livelihoods? What about their dreams, their goals, their aspirations? I can talk about all of the people who have been literally killed because of the riots. And I think we're now like nearing 20 or so people 
with all these kids and the unrest, you could say it's all uh, the increase in violence and crime. You can say it's all interrelated. The police aren't responding to calls in some, in some instances. They're demoralized. They're worried about being arrested. All of this is a direct result of people claiming they care about life. But not only have several dozen people literally lost their lives, they are dead, including an eight-year-old girl just the other day. People's livelihoods, their dreams, their goals have also been crushed in the violence. This is why I am, for the most part, a reformer, reformist. I think that we have conversations and we, we, we pass bills, we make demands. Peaceful protest works. It really does. And, the, and, the, and they don't want you to believe it because you can't have a violent, re- you can't have a revolution without your violence. You can't overthrow the police, abolish them or do these things without some kind of overt violent action against the state. And the state needs to be handicapped by some kind of bigger movement. But you absolutely do get reform through peaceful protest, civil disobedience. It is a fact. 100% we have seen the data. It gives you positive press coverage. It makes your cause the, the, the mainstream topic of the week or whatever. And if you keep doing it, keep engaging in this kind of uh, protest, eventually politicians respond. Because like I said, people like Cuomo in New York, right? They look out the window. What do they see? They see a bunch of people with signs yelling and that's it. Do they see any conservatives, any moderates? Nope. So he says, okay, these are the active. These are the activists. These are the active people. I need them to vote for me, to tell their friends to vote for me. Everyone else will vote on simple policy or wedge issues. So they cater to it. That's why peaceful protest works. You also have cancel culture. Let's be real. As much as we don't like it, cancel culture is peaceful. It really is. When far leftists send, you know, 50,000 emails to Facebook saying ban someone, not Facebook, that's not a good example, but like Chase Bank or something, and the bank does it, yeah, that's called a mail-in campaign. It's, an on, it's a long-standing tactic used by typically left-wing groups to get their way. It works. That's why I've talked about how the Republicans, they don't do this. They need, they, they need to understand why they lose these cultural battles, because the left knows the power of peaceful and disruptive actions. Calling, you know, so Hulu, I remember this a while ago, Hulu put out a tweet saying something about Halloween costumes and got slammed on Twitter by conservatives and moderates saying this is ridiculous. And Hulu like deleted it, I guess. I think they did. That's a peaceful protest, right? Now the left will say you're harassing people. You're yeah, because they're trying to defend themselves. They're trying to make sure only they can use these tactics. But if every conservative had an email campaign and this is a peaceful tactic towards getting what you want in a cultural battle, they'd win, hands down. Unfortunately, I think most people don't care, and the far left is active, organized, bored, and many of them don't have jobs. So they win on these fronts. Peaceful protests work. When someone goes on Twitter and even lying, they're not using violence, they're just deceptive. I disagree with it, I think it's wrong, but they're not engaging in violence to get what they want when they send an email to someone saying, fire this person. That stuff works. And that's where, the Republic, uh, that's where Republicans and conservatives have a major disadvantage because they don't do this. They don't even show up for the most part and go out and protest, though they've started to. The real issue is coordinated activist campaigns. The left has all of the organizers, the youthful exuberance and zealotry. The right does not. The right has become comfortable and complacent for a very, very long time because we're in a very wealthy country and they recognize that. And so they don't go out and actually speak up and the left becomes emboldened. Don Lemon basically tells Terry Crews that if you want to talk about violence and the loss of life, start a movement to do it, because that's not what Black Lives Matter is. And to many people, it was kind of shocking. 
to actually hear Don Lemon say black, black lives matter is not about saving black lives in general. It's about addressing police brutality. I think right away, a lot of people on the right take that to a, a darker place than it needs to be. I think you can say the movement was referencing police brutality, but I also think it's interesting to say that it's actually just a slogan that doesn't really mean what it's supposed to say. It was a reference to the lives taken by police and no one else. So as violence begins to sweep the country, crime skyrockets in the, in the wake of, of uh, you know, the calls to defund the police, abolish the police. I have to question if, they're, if they really care about lives or if the real issue is their ideology, they don't like cops. I mean, look, clearly we need police. You can't have no police. Pe- people are dying because of it. That makes me feel like we need, we need someone like Terry Crews to continue speaking up the way he is. Otherwise, we will end up with more people losing their lives. I don't care what you call it. I don't care where you stand. I don't care what your sign says. I care if you care about peaceful civil discourse, fixing our problems, saving lives. This includes holding police accountable for wrongdoing. 100% it does. However, I want to make sure we don't see a little girl die like, like, like we, what we just saw in Atlanta or a 16 year old kid joy riding in an SUV and the guys in the Chaz in Seattle shot them all up. I want these people to live. I want to make sure they're protected and they have full access to their unalienable rights. I want to make sure they have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the same as literally everyone else, that no matter what your creed, your color, where you come from, whatever, we have these rights. They exist. But if you have people who are advocating for a system that will result in oppression, I can't, I can't support that. They will claim they're the ones fighting against oppression. But let me just tell you, we saw it in St. Louis. You probably saw the story. I did a video about it. Protesters first showed up to the house of uh, the, the McCloskeys. They were going onto the private, you know, the private uh, community to protest the mayor. The McCloskeys came out with guns to defend their property. Maybe it was over the top. You can have that argument. Fine. But the point is they came back. The protesters came back to protest in front of their house for about 15 or so minutes. This time, the windows were boarded up and there was private security. And therein lies the serious trouble I see in going down the Don Lemon route, as opposed to the Terry Crews route. When Terry Crews says we must make sure we're, you know, holding, you know, we're, we're, we're treating people fairly and it's not a supremacy thing and all that stuff. Listen, when you abolish the police, you end up with the rich people having private security. They will be fine. It is the poor people who will suffer when you take away their, their public services. And that's exactly what we've seen in, in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, with shootings on the rise. This is why it's so important to make sure that your movement isn't doing more harm than good. And if it is doing more harm, and as of right now, I believe it truly is, then what do we do? I understand the core message. I think the core message is fine. The end result has been chaotic. There's been fires, looting, people's businesses destroyed. These, these families will be held back for decades. Literally, people die, are dying because of this, including a little girl. At a certain point, we need to say, stop this stuff, okay, and reassess. It's a destructive force. I think Terry Cruz's version of Black Lives Matter is the right approach. We need to make sure that no matter what actions we take, no matter what words we say, the result is saving lives, protecting these communities, and truly fighting for equality for everybody instead of rioting, violence, shootings, armed groups taking over parking lots and things like that. But I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. A couple days ago, the story emerged 
A vehicle was driving down a highway. A bunch of far left activists were dancing on the highway. I mean that literally they were doing something called like the candy cane shuffle or something. I don't know. The car came around a curve, tried to dodge two vehicles that were in the road, went on the shoulder. People started to run, swerved to the left, hit two people. I made a joke about it that we need to do better. And it's a half joke. We need to do better to teach people not to wear all black at night on an interstate highway, dancing around a curve and behind an obstruction where drivers can't see. And a lot of people got really mad at me. So a bunch of these leftists were like, I can't believe Tim would would blame the victim for being murdered. The guy who drove the car is not being charged with murder. And as far as we can tell, it was an accident. We have another story now. Driver 36 is arrested after running over BLM, two protesters standing in the roadway in Long Island. Anthony Camberary was driving a Toyota RAV4, which hit protesters on Monday. Cops said Camberary fled the scene before being arrested a short time later. Video shows one of the people hit by Camberary's car being tended to by police. Now, this doesn't seem to be there's no there's no footage, as far as I can tell from this article of the actual car hitting the protesters. I believe they're both okay. They went to the hospital. There's a photo. I think someone may have broken their arm. But at a certain point, you know, when you, when, you know, we're, we're coming a couple days off of somebody getting hit by a car on a highway, people are still thinking it's a safe idea to be standing in the road. And you look, it's in, and, and not in large numbers. You need something to make sure drivers know you need to set up barricades or whatever. These people should not have been hit. I don't know the circumstances. We'll read the story. But look, man, things are, are just getting worse and worse as the shootings increase. And I, I want to talk about this story and just go through the details. But I want to get into the bigger picture here. New York City is collapsing because of things like this, because of the ongoing riots and protests, the damage, the destruction, the loss of life. Half a million middle class individuals have fled New York City. As, this, as, as these people flee, the tax base erodes, services diminish, and the city starts to fall apart. But let's start by seeing the breaking story about people getting hit by a car. They say, cops, uh, uh, Anthony Camberary, 36, was driving the RAV4. They said uh, protesters were standing in a roadway, according to police. Cops added that Camberary fled the scene. A video of the aftermath shows one of the people hit by Camberary's car being tended to by police. Cops were then seen surrounding the car as Camberary sat in the driver's seat. So you can see a photo of, you know, the cops showing up. Now, the reason I highlight this and what I mean when I say things like this result in the collapse of, say, New York City seems like a big leap right now. Hold on. These people were standing in the middle of a road. I get it. Protests do this sometimes. We just had someone die because of this. Maybe it's not a smart idea to keep doing this, but they keep doing this. They've done it. They do it all the time. They try and block highways. Eventually, a car is going to hit somebody and it sucks, right? When the police showed up because they called the police for help, they began yelling at the police. The police captured the guy who hit these protesters. The police also arrived when the woman on the on the highway got hit as well. The two women, actually. Yet they would then scream in the face of these cops. Cops, I imagine, don't want to deal with that. It's already a bad enough job. They don't get paid all that much. And we're hearing lots of stories about cops retiring, cops quitting, cops calling in sick. Now crime is skyrocketing in New York. This is what I'm talking about. There is nothing the police can do to actually solve these problems. The cops are being demonized. The protesters are blaming the police and yelling at them, even when the cops come to help them. So what do you do? 
Do you even bother with the job anymore? I don't know. I can tell you because of this behavior and attitude, cities like New York end up paying the price. Bigger cities pay the price. Or I should say it's more exaggerated in bigger cities. Let's read a little bit more. Pedestrians were left with non-life-threatening injuries and were taken to Huntington, Hunting, Huntington Hospital. According to witnesses speaking to Newsday, between 25 and 30 demonstrators were marching when they were hit by the gray Toyota. In my head, I thought he's going to stop, but he didn't stop at all, said Chris McCain from Freeport. For this to happen on Long Island is crazy. Another protester said he jumped out of the way when the Toyota hit a fellow demonstrator, sending him to the ground. The victim has trouble walking afterwards and was taken to a hospital. The second injured man was taken, uh, was hit in the knee and also taken away in an ambulance. Now, I want to just remind all of you, most of the videos we've seen of cars hitting protesters have been cars slowing down and then like inching forward and the protesters are screaming and jumping on the hood and stuff like that. It doesn't seem like this is the case. It seems like he did hit them at a relatively low rate of speed. There's a campaign in New York. I forgot what it was called, but they basically say something like, if you're going 25 miles an hour, you're much less likely to kill someone. If you're going 35, you're going to seriously injure them. So based on the injuries they have, it, it would seem like the guy wasn't going slow, like crawling, but wasn't going ridiculously fast. That's why they got knocked down, not th- sent flying in the air. It's important context. Well, of course, they started attacking the cops. He was only charged, uh, Camberray was charged with third degree assault and was issued a desk appearance. That says everything, doesn't it? The guy probably was not going fast at all. In fact, it sounds like he may have been going relatively slow for them to just let him leave with a desk appearance. A video filmed shortly after Joe protesters sitting on the sidewalk surrounding him are cops and demonstrators shouting at the cops. The demonstrators appeared to be upset at other footage, which showed cops talking to Camberary after his car allegedly hit protesters. One of them said, you saw him, you observed him having a casual conversation before you ripped him out of his car. The man then said through the megaphone, this is what we're talking about. The disparity between how police treat white people and black people. This guy, I, I, I don't know what you want to happen, right? Do they want the cops to just be violent, to be brutal? If you're protesting police brutality and the cops shows up to your protest, of course, he's not going to brutalize somebody, right? They say he slammed on the gas to hit us. A third video shows the injured man leaving hospital. He is seen being embraced by fellow demonstrators. Okay. It's a silly, st- it's, 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 it, I don't know. I don't want to call it silly. I was going to say it's a silly story, but I think it's worrying when these things kind of, you know, escalate. But if the police are issuing this guy a desk appearance, like I said, I really don't think it's an issue of someone slamming the gas on to hit somebody. They're probably exaggerating. But take a look at what happened, what's happening in New York City. 63 people were shot over the 4th of July weekend. There you go. That's the news. That's, what's, what, that's what happens when cops are told everything they do is wrong. Now, we can have police reform. We can call out the bad cops 100%. But I have to wonder why it is they're calling for abolishing the police outright. That makes no sense. It's very dangerous and will lead to widespread suffering. And now it's coming. Take a look at this story from, from the Daily Mail. Nightmare in New York. How COVID-19 19, BLM protests and a liberal mayor are turning the city into a no-go zone as murders skyrocket, shops are looted, and 500,000 middle-class residents flee. What will be left of this city, man? I do not know. Two bullet-ridden bodies lay sprawled on blood-stained concrete steps. Alongside, relatives of the victims are wailing and collapse to the ground. 
In another part of the city, a gang of youths used spray paint to disable security cameras before robbing a corner store. Later, video footage captures police officers sitting helplessly in their patrol car as a banging crowd hurls glass bottles at them. This is lawless New York, a city that was once America's glittering crown jewel, but which risks descending into mob rule. It already did. What do you mean? It already did. Murder figures have skyrocketed and a combination of the coronavirus pandemic, Black Lives Matter protests and weak political leadership is in danger of achieving what? Wow. (laughs) I'm not reading that Daily Mail. Wow. I'm not I'm not reading that. The scenes described above took place last weekend. uh, Chioke Thompson, 23, and his friend Stephanie Perkins had been gunned down on the steps of Chioke's Brooklyn home. With the gunmen still on the loose and their families insisting neither victim had any links to drugs or gang, the pair appeared to be the latest grim statistics in a crime wave sweeping the city. According to figures released by the New York Police Department, for the first six months of the year, there were 176 murders, an increase of 23% on the 143 killed during the same period last year. The number of shooter victims has gone up 51% to 616 this year. In June alone, there were 250 shootings compared to 97 in the same month last year. Month on month burglaries are up 119% and car thefts are up 48%. Many blame New York's liberal mayor. No, I'm sorry. He's not a liberal. He's a progressive. Bill de Blasio, who has slashed police funding by a billion dollars, ended the NYPD's controversial stop and frisk policy, which allowed police to stop and search anyone solely on the basis of reasonable suspicion and who last week vowed to paint a huge Black Lives Matter sign outside President Trump's flagship Trump Tower. That's what you get. What's the mayor going to do for you? He's going to paint you a mural in the street. In fact, all five boroughs are supposed to have a big mural of Black Lives Matter. That's what you can get. Crime will skyrocket and people will flee. de Blasio has also introduced criminal justice reforms, including changes to bail and dozens of uh, for dozens of offenses, which has meant violent criminals released onto the streets. I believe that's incorrect. I'm not entirely sure. My understanding is that it's only nonviolent offenses, but it does result in criminals being released over and over and over again. This is a, this is a big challenge in terms of uh, civil liberties. If someone isn't convicted of a crime, does the state have a right to hold them unless they can pay? And I believe the answer is no, but I do recognize that results in, well, crime. But it is better, you know, look, I'd rather have freedom then uh, I would rather have more freedom and less security, right? We want, we, there, there's a balance there. You don't want too much security locking people up who can't afford to get out. Innocent people will suffer from that. But then again, it does lead to more crime. They're going to say, referring to the police president, uh, I'm sorry, Trump tweeted, NYC is cutting police uh, budget by $1 billion. And yet the NYC mayor is going to paint a big, expensive yellow Black Lives Matter sign on Fifth Avenue, denigrating this luxury avenue. He said this will further antagonize New York's finest who love New York and vividly remember the horrible BLM chant, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Maybe our great police who have been neutralized and scorned by a mayor who hates and disrespects them won't let this symbol of hate be affixed to New York's greatest street. Spend this money fighting crime instead. Parts of Manhattan, famously the city that never sleeps, have begun to resemble a ghost town since 500,000 mostly wealthy and middle-class residents fled when COVID-19 struck in March. New York State has suffered the highest death toll in America, with more than 24,000 dead, nearly 10,000 more than the second hardest hit state, New Jersey, and eight times the number killed by terrorists on 9-11. Streets once teeming with tourists are virtually empty. Shops and restaurants are boarded up to protect against looters. 
Hotels are closed. According to one resident, New York has become a place where the soup kitchens are full and skyscrapers are empty. I'm warning you all, if you are in New York, you need to start making plans. Not everybody can afford to leave, but the tax base is eroding. There, the, the police will have their budget slashed, not because of some political movement, but because there will be no budget. There will be no revenue to actually fund the police. You need people living in a city to support the infrastructure of the city. And this is one of the bigger problems we're going to be facing. Listen, whether or not it was COVID, whether or not it was the riots, remote work and automation are coming. And that means people don't live, need to live in these big cities anymore. What will end up happening is that the infrastructure we have built, which must be maintained, will become increasingly more expensive to those who live in the city. Eventually, the city collapses. And that's, that's where things get weird. You know, it's really funny how we went from a wired technological era to a wireless and then back to wired and now back to wireless. It's almost like the different you know, technologies kind of compete, outpacing each other in various ways. We had wireless communications and then we are like, hey, guess what? This, this, this hardline fiber optic internet is actually better. And so there's actually a conversation briefly about in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, perhaps we abandoned wireless communications. And, and, and more advanced, more advanced uh, cultures use more direct connected technologies. But now we're going back to wi- wireless internet and things like that. The reason I bring that up, perhaps we go from mostly rural to mostly urban and back to rural. Perhaps now that we've advanced communications technologies and remote work to a point where people don't need to be in cities anymore, we're going to leave those cities. But that presents a bigger problem. With everything we're facing and the mismanagement, it's accelerating people leaving cities. The, the, uh, the technology exists, right? So people don't need to be in that city, but there's no real incentive to just outright leave, right? Well, because of COVID, people left. Now, because of the riots, people left. And now because of the slashing of police budget and the escalation of crime, which is the result of this, more people are leaving. You will have an infrastructure that has a static cost, but the people who pitch into that aren't there anymore. Let me put it this way. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say you live with 10 roommates and each of you wants one slice of pizza. And there is a pizza shop which delivers a large with 10 slices. I know whatever, eight, fine, but 10 slices. So now everybody pitches in $1, the pizza arrives and everybody gets a slice of pizza. What happens when nine of your roommates leave and it's just you? You still only want that one slice of pizza, but you still have to pay for the whole thing. And now you have to pay for it yourself. So now you're pitching in that whole 10 bucks, getting the whole pizza you don't want. You eat one slice and the rest just rots. And that's what will happen to New York City. As people begin to flee because of this, these, these, these problems, that, 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 that stupid story about the driver was in Long Island. That's New York State. This is also on Cuomo. As people begin to leave the city, though, the buildings remain. And they built the buildings still have to be paid for to, to, within reason. The plumbing system still has to be paid for. The electrical grid still has to be paid for. And if you are the only one left, you have to pay for all of it. The more people leave, the more those costs will transfer to you, the people who still live there. Crime will be skyrocketing as people can't afford the cost of living in this big city anymore. And eventually the city will be a ghost town. No one will actually be a resident or work there. It'll just be a bunch of empty buildings. Now, I don't know if we'll ever actually get to that point, but maybe Detroit certainly has, has, has fallen substantially from where it used to be. And now there are just empty buildings everywhere. 
The issue with New York City, though, which is much scarier, is that much of Manhattan, for instance, is like urban skyscrapers. You know, when Detroit started to diminish and the cost of, uh, of services and, you know, say waterfronts started to skyrocket, we ended up with the Flint crisis. So I could be getting this wrong. It's been a long time. So I, I, I actually did an interview with some of the activists and nonprofit organizations that were working on the Flint water crisis. And, and basically what I was told, so again, you fact check me on this one, was that as people fled Michigan, the, the, the cost of water increased per person, like I explained. It became some of the most uh, expensive water services in the country, particular, particularly in Flint. Because Flint couldn't afford the Detroit water system anymore, which is clean, they switched to the Flint water, which was toxic and, and polluted and disgusting. And people started to get poisoning. Children started to get lead poisoning and uh, Legionnaire's disease because they couldn't afford the clean water from the big city. This is what happens. Now I'm told the area is some of the most expensive water in the country. This will happen to New York as well. Now, I don't know where New York plans to get their water from, because I think their water sources, you know, they have one water source, whereas Flint and outlying areas could, you know, had, had different sources, even though they were bad. But the areas outside of Detroit, the residential homes started to fall apart. And there was a period where urban legend tells, this is what I was told by some people from the area, that the police would go around burning down abandoned neighborhoods. The whole neighborhoods would be abandoned. The buildings were just decaying. So they would just light them up and then run away. I'm not saying that's true. I, I have friends when I was hanging out in Chicago, I, I grew up in Chicago and I, I'd be skating there and I had some friends who were from Detroit who moved out of the area and would tell me that's what people thought was happening. Maybe you can look that up. Maybe it's just, you know, rumors and urban legends. But there were so many areas where there were just whole neighborhoods completely abandoned or like at least sparsely populated. We've seen similar things in Indiana. You can go, man, I tell you what, I don't want to rag on Indiana, but you can go to some of these places when you can see where industry has fallen apart. Actually, on the front page of my main channel, I have a video called American Wasteland, where we went to uh, we went to Gary, Indiana, and you can see what happens when people leave when jobs dry up. Ma- massive buildings just abandoned, schools totally abandoned, and man, it was like it was crazy looking at these records from like the '70s, back when this school used to be hustling and bustling, and people were in and out. Outside of that school, just rows of just destroyed homes, abandoned, and over time they erode, they fall apart, no one repairs them. And then you just have huge swaths of just empty houses falling apart, collapsing. Will that happen to New York? I think the answer is yes. Now, maybe not. I'm not going to pretend like it's a it's a 100 to guarantee a one, you know, the, the, like the, the ratio is one to one. Maybe it's there's a 51 percent chance it happens. Maybe it's a guarantee, but it only affects 10 percent, 20 percent of the buildings. But I lived in New York for a while, man. And I lived in the Crown Heights area. And a lot of these buildings are just totally abandoned. And it's crazy to see, you know, like a three-story building. They're all connected. And your building is connected to another building that's totally abandoned, just gutted and abandoned, boarded up. And inside is nothing. It's like, what do you do with all these buildings when when people flee? So they talk about all these issues, gentrification, white flight, whatever. I'll tell you what, man, so long as this absurdity continues, so long as people keep attacking the police, We're going to see more of it, man. Commercial mortgage delinquencies surged at record monthly rate in June. And here's the big warning, man. Something big is coming. Delinquencies in commercial mortgage-backed securities jumped by 213 basis points in June to 3.59% from 1.46. It was the largest one-month spike since Finch ratings began tracking the metric nearly 16 years ago. 
16 years ago, huh? The hotel and retail sectors are seeing the worst delinquencies as the coronavirus has been especially hard on those industries. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how this will play out. Let me tell you, man. Remember the big market crash late 07, early 08, I think it was because of mortgage backed securities delinquencies. If this is bigger than that, what comes next? So, hey, Bill Maher, you got your wish. Here comes the recession, I suppose, right? Things are rebounding back. It's hard to know exactly how things will play out. But I'll tell you this. I mentioned this before when it came to shutting down the economy for COVID. You have a big freight train. You, you stop the first car, just snap your fingers and it stops. What happens to every car in the back? They don't just stop. They pile up. They flip off the tracks. They start rolling. You know, they're completely destroyed. The train can't just stop. And the ripples will continue to spread. People have no idea. They thought that with COVID and the lockdown, it was going to be like, I can't get a cheeseburger for a couple of months. I warned. I warned. Remember this. I said, what happens when these people who have jobs at a burger shop all of a sudden don't have money to pay their rent? Now the landlords can't afford to pay the, 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 the management companies, the groundskeepers, etc. And now these buildings, start, the mortgages don't get paid. The people who don't pay rent, that turns into a delinquency. The delinquency affects mortgage-backed securities. The whole system cannot just stop. It crashes. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe they want it to happen because they want to blame Trump for it. I have no idea. But I'll tell you what, man, the cities aren't looking good. I hope you've been paying attention to what's going on. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at TimCast.net, and I will see you all then. And there it is. Trump administration submits notice of withdrawal from World Health Organization, which will take effect July 2021. And already everybody's freaking out. But I got to admit, man, you know, I don't know why we would remain in the World Health Organization as of right now, considering the controversy around covid And look, I'm going to put it this way. I am not saying this is an expert on what the World Health Organization does. I know they do many things outside of just the COVID stuff. The issue is, as a layman, my friends, the things I've talked about, the concerns we have over COVID and how we get nothing from this and we can't even answer what they do. Now, that may be coming from a place of ignorance, and I totally accept that. But there needs to be some kind of real, I don't know, explanation and answer for the constant mistakes made by the World Health Organization, the flip-flopping, the backtracking, and the confusion. Let me, let me put it another way. I'm having a conversation with a friend who's complaining about the broken guidelines based on bad advice from the World Health Organization and how you go over a county line and a state line and everything's different. Nothing makes sense. And no one has any idea what, what's going on. The flip-flopping has been so bad, even among the CDC, that people have just given up. In which case, I don't know or care about the World Health Organization thing, man. I think for tribal reasons, you're going to see people on the right saying, good, Trump should. On the left, you're going to say, oh, no, Trump, what is he doing for me? And the people I talk to from a layman perspective is, I don't know, man. As far as I can tell, they messed up pretty bad on COVID. There's some connections with China. I don't know. Let's read the story and see what they're on about. Fox News reports the Trump administration submitted a notice of withdrawal from the World Health Organization to the United Nations Secretary General. A senior administration official told Fox News on Tuesday after President Trump for weeks had blasted the World Health Organization's handling of the coronavirus pandemic and what he called its pro-China bias. The White House also notified congressional lawmakers Tuesday of the official removal effect July 2021. 
Congress received notification that POTUS officially withdrew the U.S. from the WHO in the midst of a pandemic. Bob Menendez tweeted. Okay, here's what he said. Congress received notification that POTUS officially withdrew the U.S. in the midst of a pandemic. To call Trump's response to COVID chaotic and incoherent doesn't do it justice. This won't protect American lives or interests. It leaves Americans sick and, uh, and America alone. Listen, the withdrawal takes, up, takes up place uh, 2021. It's a year from now. And if Trump doesn't win in November, well, there you go. You can make your vote. We'll see if Americans are more concerned about being in or leaving. If more people think we should not be in the World Health Organization, considering their response to this, then they'll probably support Trump and so be it. Although I'm pretty sure if Biden wins, then we'll stay in the World Health Organization. And I, I got to be honest, man. The more I see what's going on, I'm not confident Trump's winning. I'm going to save this one for the next segment. We're going to talk about it. Let's read and keep this one to the World Health Organization. Trump first announced that the U.S. would withdraw from the organization in late May because they have failed to make the requested and greatly needed reforms. We will be today terminating our relationship with the World Health Organization and redirecting those funds to other worldwide and deserving urgent global public health needs, Trump told reporters at a Rose Garden event. The world is now suffering as a result of the misfeasance of the Chinese government, Trump added. Now it's true. Early on, uh, China withheld key information from us. This is reported by the Associated Press. And the World Health Organization just parroted this false information. So when they come out and they say Trump is mishandling this, I'm like, you know what, man? You can criticize Trump. Of course, he's the guy flying the plane, okay? But if we're getting bad information over the radio from what's coming across from China and the World Health Organization, blame goes to them too. Why would we just sit back and be like, oh, it's only Trump's fault? As it pertains to the World Health Organization, let me tell you something. If anyone says to you that what Trump is doing is wrong, ask them this. What does the World Health Organization do? And I mean it. What do they do? What have they done? Now, there are some things they do in terms of dealing with, you know, pandemics and diseases and tracking information, helping provide resources around the world. That's fine. On a, a more general level, ask them. And I'm, I assure you, most people won't be able to tell you. More importantly, to the people who are fans and proponents of them, who will criticize me for also not knowing all that much what the World Health Organization is supposed to be doing or what they, what, what they typically do, I ask you, what is Trump going to do uh, with the funding? Where is he going to put it? I think it's fair to say if you want to criticize the decision to, to leave the World Health Organization, we need to have a better understanding of where that money would go anyway. Do we know? No. Could it be better? It could. Could it be worse? We really just don't know. So at this point, I think it's silly that this, become, this becomes a tribal argument. What we can say right now is as far as I can tell with, the, with, the, with COVID, the World Health Organization really did us dirty and it resulted in a decent amount of the damage we've experienced because of COVID. But I'll tell you this right now, man, the advice we've gotten, the World Health Organization said early June, asymptomatic transmission was very rare. All of a sudden, people started saying, okay, okay, there we go, right? Then they came back and said, wait, 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 we just don't know. Okay, you're just making everything worse with your flip-flop and your back and forth, and it's poor leadership. Maybe what we're seeing with Donald Trump isn't, in fact, a move to withdraw from the World Health Organization, but what's called a big ask, all right? If you're not familiar with the technique, it basically means that what Trump will do is he'll offer up something extreme, hoping to meet you halfway. It's like a big ask is when you say something like, hey, I'll sell you this bottle of uh, water for $100. And you go, whoa, $100? That's ridiculous. Okay, fine. How about 20 yeah, All right, 20 That makes sense. 
20 is still ridiculous for a bottle of water, but you think you're getting a great deal. So what Trump may be trying to pull off is because of the problems of the World Health Organization, because they didn't institute these reforms he wanted, he says, I'm pulling out. Here's the deadline. Then they panic, make a bunch of changes, and Trump brings us back into the World Health Organization. I'll tell you what, I think it's pretty crazy if he actually pulls us out. We'll see. They say, in the course of the same statement, Trump announced a number of measures aimed primarily at China in response to its conduct on a number of fronts, including trade, the coronavirus, and its recent crackdown on Hong Kong. Beijing further increased its grip on Hong Kong last week by passing a security law that critics say undermines the semi-autonomous territory's judicial independence. The law gives police greater power to crack down on any activity there that authorities deem subversive with secessionist aims. Trump added that the State Department's travel advisory for Hong Kong would be revised to reflect the increased danger of surveillance and punishment by the Chinese. Additionally, the U.S. is revoking Hong Kong's preferential treatment as a separate customs and travel territory and taking steps to sanction officials involved in eroding Hong Kong's autonomy. This is the real reason I think we're moving out of the World Health Organization. They're close ties to China. We got serious conflict. I mean, we're, we're, look, I just did this segment over on my main channel. Tim, uh, check it out, timcast.net, talking about banning TikTok. These moves are all coming. Man, I really do think we may be, we may be facing a hot war with China at some point. Maybe it's time we offer up uh, an emergency exodus for the residents of Hong Kong. These are American loving people. They wave that, that, that flag. They wave that Trump flag. They love Donald Trump. They love the freedom. Some people have joked that maybe we can send Antifa over to China. They can take the place of the Hong Kong residents, Hong, Hong Kongians, whatever you want to call them. And we can bring those residents of Hong Kong here. I know it's a silly joke. It's dumb. I think we should just allow refugee status to people of Hong Kong. The UK is doing it. I'm totally down for that. Uh, I know a lot of people on the left are going to be like, oh, now you support refugees, blah, blah, blah. I've always supported refugees, man. I know they want to play these games acting like I don't. But I think Hong Kong is more deserving, especially in the face of what China is proposing. But I got to say, man, it's not looking good. It's, it's not. The crackdown on Hong Kong is pretty severe. Now Trump is making this move. The influence and power of the Chinese government is obvious. Listen, man, Thucydides trap is real. And it seems like we're staring down the barrel of it. China is more powerful than we realize. They have more control and more influence than you realize. So Trump is making these moves that can only end up with some kind of conflict. Trump announced in April the U.S. would freeze funding to the World Health Organization and threatened to make the freeze permanent if they did not enact major substantive reforms. The U.S. has been the top contributor to the agency to the tune of approximately $450 million a year. China, meanwhile, pays approximately $50 million a year although Beijing had recently announced a $2 billion injection of funds. I'm telling you, man, it's coming. China was sitting back while we paid the bills for things like the World Health Organization, but China got the influence. So Trump is saying, enough, I'm pulling out. So China says, okay, we'll kick in that funds. And the World, the World Health Organization knows who's buttering their bread. Trump pulling out just shows we have presumably two choices bend the knee and allow China to just take over and become the dominant superpower or resist, fight back, make America great, whatever Trump calls it. That may just lead to war. Some people have actually argued the reason why many of these politicians have been so favorable to China is because slowly fading into obscurity and and, and losing our status in the world is preferable to China going to war with us. I think Trump would prefer shoring up America's defenses, bolstering our arms 
and standing up against China than to give up our way of life. I don't know. It's very speculative, but I guess I guess time will tell as, as usually goes. Maybe Trump will lose. Like I, I look at I got to be honest, man. There are a lot of reasons to suggest Trump could win, but a lot more nefarious reasons to suggest Trump will lose. Stick around for the next segment coming up in a few minutes. War games played by the left. Trump refuses. We'll see how things play out. Stick around. I'll see you in the next few minutes. Let's talk about Trump's chances. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Max Boot, who tweeted, imagine a narrow Trump loss. He screams fraud. Barr supports him by claiming to have detected efforts by China, Antifa, and other enemies of the people to steal the election. Violence erupts. SCOTUS gets involved. This is a nightmare scenario. I present to you my response to Mr. Max Boot. He actually responded. Imagine a narrow Clinton loss. She screams fraud. The media supports her by claiming to have detected efforts by Russia, the far right, and other enemies of the people to steal the election. They keep pushing the claims without evidence. And they don't stop. Not even today. Yes, Max Boot claims to have participated in leftist war games to see what would happen if Donald Trump did not win the election. And he concluded Donald Trump would not give up and he would, in fact, steal the election. Wow. After five years, because Trump's campaign started in 2015, of them saying over and over that Trump will cheat. And they lost in 2016. They are still to this day saying Trump will cheat. You know why? Because they're going to cheat. I think they're going to cheat. Listen, let's play a game. I, they come out and say Trump's going to cheat. I come out and say they're going to cheat. Who gets branded the conspiracy theorist? We know how the media works. We know how they operate. So I present you this. If Max Boot can tweet out his, his story from the Washington Post about Trump refusing to lose, then I can certainly do the same thing, right? Mail-in ballots. I have, it's election day. I'm supposed to go out and vote in a primary. I have no idea where, where my voting place is. And they uh, linked, the, the, the congressman from my area sent out a link so I can search for it. The website's down. Isn't that great? Somebody who doesn't live in my house received a, a, a mail-in ballot. They don't live here. Yet no one else received a mail-in ballot. So what am I supposed to do to vote? Don't know. Isn't that called disenfranchisement? So let's talk about who's going to cheat. I don't know. Everybody, I guess. But they certainly think it'll be Trump. What if Trump loses but insists he won? I got to say, ladies and gentlemen, I really, I'm, I, I really do believe they will cheat. I, I do. You know, look, not to get conspiratorial or anything, but in 2016, I believe Trump had the American, I don't know what the right word is, but, the, but, but I believed he would win off of the fact that he was a high profile celebrity and the American people were chanting and cheering for him. But I thought he would not actually win because they wouldn't let him win, right? I thought in 2016, they'd play games. I don't trust our election process. Most people I know don't. I know very few people who are actually confident in the election process, period. Most people just believe they're voting for the lesser of two evils. Based on everything I've seen with stories like this, this to me, what if Trump loses but insists he won? I'll give you the gist. They have been pushing this narrative that when it's, it's a counter move, in my opinion, Trump said mail-in voter, mail-in votes equals mail-in voter fraud. So what do they do? They counter with stories saying, come, come November 4th, 
Trump will insist there was voter fraud and use this to steal the election. Now, why would they do this? That way, when it invariably happens and there is mail-in voter fraud and Bill Barr does call it out, they'll say, see, we told you this would happen. This is proof. They're cheating. That's the game, huh? I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Trump does win in a landslide. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe Biden nominates Hillary Clinton and then Biden has a stroke. I have no idea. And then Hillary's president, whatever. Maybe Joe Biden nominates Bernie Sanders for his VP. They both have strokes after winning. And then Nancy Pelosi becomes president, (laughs) I guess. Okay, let's read. On his present trajectory, President Trump is heading for a whopping defeat in November. The Economist says there's nearly a 99% chance that Joe Biden will win more popular votes and around a 90% chance that he will win more electoral college votes. But what if Trump won't concede defeat? That that is a nightmare scenario for our democracy. That could make the 2000 showdown over the Florida's hanging chad seem like a grade school dispute by comparison. Trump is already laying the foundation to dispute the election outcome with his incessant claims that mail-in ballots will lead to massive electoral fraud and a rigged 2020 election. Election officials label such concerns as preposterous and false, but they will serve as an excuse for the Republican Party to purge voter registration rolls, limit mail-in ballots, close polling stations in minority areas, and challenge in-person voting by minorities, whatever it takes to win. Can I just stop you right there? I live in a blue district in a blue state, and I have no idea where my polling location is. As far as I know, I didn't get any letters telling me where it would be. I'm being told now it's all mail-in ballots, but I didn't receive a mail-in ballot. I received an application, but other people got mail-in ballots who didn't apply for them. You want to talk about disenfranchisement? Shut up and stop talking about Republicans. This is New Jersey, dude. It's a blue state. It's doubtful that anything Trump does will produce a popular vote victory. I agree with that. He lost by nearly 3 million votes in 2016 and will probably lose by a greater margin this year. But it won't matter if uh, uh, if by election night he is within spitting distance of an electoral college victory. Here's where it gets fun. I recently took part in a war game to see what would happen under those circumstances. The session was organized by the Transition Integrity Project, a nonpartisan group founded by Rosa Brooks of Georgetown Law School and Nils Gilman of the Berger. Berggruen Institute. The scenario we were given predicted a narrow Biden victory in the Electoral College, 278 to 260. Various participants played the role of the Trump campaign, the Biden campaign, Republican and Democrat elected officials, the news media, and other key players to see what would happen next. I was on Team Trump, and needless to say, we did not concede defeat. Well, you simply chose not to. I mean, think about it. You're playing a war game. You can go, we lose. Thank you all very much. Have a nice day. But because in their deluded minds, Trump is literally like the villain of the worst horror movie ever. They're like, well, we're obligated to cheat because that's what Trump would do. We went to work ruthlessly and unscrupulously, (laughs) scrupulously, utilizing every ounce of power at our disposal to secure the 10 electoral college votes to swing the election. We focus our attention on three of the swing states that Biden won in our scenario, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, because in all three, Republicans control both branches of the legislature. Normally, the governor certifies the election results. And in all three states, the governor is a Democrat, but there is nothing to prevent the legislature from certifying a different election outcome. Sounds like they're telling us their plan, right? They're telling us straight up, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cheat and we're going to do it in these three states. And then obviously Bill Barr will call it out and then we'll point to this article and say, aha, we predicted this because you're cheating. Look, I don't know who's going to cheat. Maybe Trump will cheat, whatever. I don't know. But these stories are weird, right? Like why even bring it up? I don't know. 
something similar happened in the 1876 presidential election. Democrat Samuel J. Tilden was leading an election day in both popular vote and the Electoral College. But the results were contested in three states. Congress appointed a commission to adjudicate the dispute, and it voted along partisan lines to hand all three states to to Republican Rutherford B. Hayes. That gave Hayes a 185 to 184 majority in the Electoral College and the presidency along with it. Full stop. Okay. So what you're saying is it's not cheating. You're saying there's precedent in American history that this can happen and that we've moved on from it and we did fine. What year did you say? 1876. Was that, was that it? What year? 1876. So well after the Civil War, it happened and we survived just fine. Okay. So when this happens, why should I care? It's happened before. It can happen again. Trump wins because of the current system. People might be upset about it, but we've gotten through it before. Okay, fine. You've effectively argued against yourself. Thank you very much, Max Boot. Have a nice day. Oh, but there's more. In our scenario, there was no congressional commission. Instead, the Republican Party bombarded the airwaves with claims of electoral fraud and insisted that Trump had been cheated of victory. The GOP filed suit to prevent the certification of the results. Attorney General William P. Barr, who in real life is already making specious claims about mail-in voter fraud, even though it's happening in Patterson, New Jersey. And uh, where is it? Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and Attorney General is doing this, supported the, uh, this effort in our mock exercise by claiming to have detected efforts by Chinese intelligence, Antifa terrorists, and other enemies of the people to steal the election. The goal was to tie up the proceedings in the courts initially at the state level and quickly force the Republican-dominated Supreme Court to intervene. Yes, if Roberts, the swing vote, actually supports Trump. While this was going on, chaos reigned in the streets with pro and anti-Trump activists mobilizing massive protests and violence erupting. Democrats believed that mass protests could force the government to respect the election outcome. But as Team Trump, we calculated that such chaos would help persuade the Supreme Court to intervene to shut down the dispute. In 2000, even two of uh, two of the more moderate conservative justices, Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony M. Kennedy, voted to end Florida's recount and hand the election to George W. Bush. Could we count on Chief Justice Roberts, the current swing vote, to resist similar pressure. The danger of an undemocratic outcome only grows in other scenarios that were wargamed by other participants. For instance, what if there is no clear-cut winner on election night, with Biden narrowly ahead in the Electoral College, but with Michigan, South Carolina, and Florida still too close to call? The participants in the wargame concluded the result would be near civil war in the streets. Far-fetched rumors are enough to bring out armed right-wing militias today. Imagine how they would respond if they imagined that there was an actual plot afoot to steal the election from their hero. It is impossible to write off such concerns as far-fetched, given how many seemingly far-fetched things have already occurred in the past four years. Trump got himself impeached by trying, you know, I'm not going to read this. They're playing games, baby. They're still playing Russiagate. They're still playing Ukraine gate impeachment. They failed. They failed. They failed. Yeah. Let me tell you something, friends. I am getting out of New Jersey for a variety of reasons. We have warned many people, get out of the cities. What if Max Boot isn't wrong? What if the war game they enacted comes true? What if there is at least the perception of some kind of voter fraud in these states? What happens if violence does erupt near civil war in the streets, he says? It's possible. And that's why gun sales are going through the roof. Have you been paying attention at all? I don't know what will happen. But I know that I went out and I bought a bunch of guns legally to protect myself. I'm in New Jersey. You can't leave the house when they stay in my house, locked up safe and secure. And I'm going to be leaving this state. 
because I'm concerned about living in an urban metro, going somewhere to the middle of nowhere. I'm not kidding. Uh, to be fair, it's because we're expanding. I talked about this. We're going to do a whole bunch of cool stuff. We're going to have new videos, new channels. And so it's not like it's time to bug out and prep and get in your van and go hide in the woods. But I would say it's, it's time to be cautious about the violence we've seen so far. Think about it this way. We had a month of riots still going on. The worst was about a week of ongoing riots across this country, maybe a longer, like a week or two weeks. What do you think happens if Trump wins or loses? Take care of yourself, everybody. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. And there you have it. They weren't even wearing a mask. Okay, it didn't slip. They've been screaming in your faces. The far left wants to completely dismantle the system of the United States economy and political system because Ilhan Omar, she comes out and says it, that we will we will dismantle systems of oppression wherever we find it after saying these are systems of oppression. They haven't been hiding. They've been calling it a revolution the whole time. But you see, here's what's happening. The left, the establishment, they thought they could wield the one ring. I love the reference. It's too bad. I'm going to keep using it. Just like in the Lord of the Rings, they, they, they saw this power. They needed this power to defeat Donald Trump. They couldn't stop him. So they turned to a group of people they didn't quite understand, or maybe they did, thinking they could control what the far left brought to the table. But they can't. So here's what you get. Ilan Omar comes out and says, we want to dismantle the whole system. And they're standing next to you going, no, 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 don't, don't listen. They're saying defund the police. They don't really mean like all of the money from the police. They mean just defund like the police a little bit. It's reform. It's really what we're talking about. It's reform, right? And then they go, excuse me. No, we mean literally defund the police. No, no, no. They clearly don't mean that. And then they write the op-ed in the New York Times. Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. And then the Democrats are like, no, we're not saying that, guys. We are not saying that. Well, you should have spoke up sooner and rejected this, but they were so desperate for power. They couldn't help. They couldn't help it. They needed everything they could get. Ilan Omar calls for dismantling of U.S. economy, political system. They say Democratic Minnesota Rep. Ilan Omar called for this. We, we get it. Quote, as long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting, who is being shut out, we will per- perpetuate this inequality. We cannot stop at criminal at, at criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. Okay, let me break this down for you. Now, to be fair, she's only somewhat screaming in your face because I know the apologists are going to come out and go, no, no, she's not talking about the whole system. She's talking about criminal justice reform. Don't make excuses. She quite literally said this system the economy and political system are prioritizing profit without considering who's profiting. It is perpetuating inequality. Okay. Inequality is oppression to these people. We know what they're saying and what they want to do. Omar held an event Tuesday in her home state of Minnesota with members of the Minnesota People of Color and Indigenous Caucus. Omar tweeted earlier Tuesday that the purpose of the event was to address racism and policing in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. Okay. Okay. I'm going to play some apologizing for Ilhan Omar. She doesn't really mean the entire system, right? She's just saying abolish the police. Welcome to the big ask. That's how they play the game, right? I wondered this for a while. Maybe what the Democrats are trying to do is they're trying to throw Trump's tactic back in his face. The big ask. Basically, what they do is they ask for something extreme. That way you compromise and accept something only somewhat extreme. In this instance, they say abolish the police. And then you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. How about we just 
you know, reduce their budget and they go, fine. That's what they really wanted, right? No. Now they've taken the big ask to a whole new level. We must dismantle the entire economy and political system because it is a system of inequality and we must dismantle these systems wherever they are. Once you see that and you freak out, the Democratic establishment says, okay, okay, how about we just get rid of the police? Is that acceptable? And that's the big ass. That's how it works. Omar has joined calls for, from local Democratic leaders to defund the police after the George Floyd incident. We get that. The Minneapolis City Council unanimously voted to get rid of the entire police department. <laughs> oh, wow. It really is being dismantled, right? It's, it's falling apart in front of our eyes. You see, what's really happening is there is, there is no giving them what they want. John Oliver is famous. You know, wh- where does it stop? Somewhere, obviously, John Oliver says. No, it doesn't. Because as soon as you're like, okay, fine, we'll abolish the police. They go, okay, and now everything else. Literally abolish the economy. What does that mean? Just have no system at all? I mean, people are going to barter. You can't do anything about it. And if they value money, they'll value money. Whatever, man. Omar said she supported the vote because she believes the Minneapolis Police Department is beyond reform. Quote, You can't really reform a department that is rotten to the root, Omar said at the time. What you can do is rebuild. And so this is our opportunity, you know, as a city to come together, have the conversation of what public safety looks like, who enforces the most dangerous crimes that take place in our community. You give them what they ask for. They will ask for more immediately. Have you not ever encountered someone like this where they'll be like, hey, man, I really need just 50 bucks to get through the week, y'all. Like, it's been really bad, man. Like, I lost my job. And you're like, okay, dude, dude, I got you. Here's 50 bucks. Just pay me back when you can. Yeah, dude, dude. Uh, could you actually do 100? Like, I, you, got, I, you, got, you got some extra money. Come on, 100 bucks. And then you're like, bro, I just gave you the 50 bucks you asked for. You can't do it like, you can't do it like this. But this is, the, this is the MO for the far left. They'll tell you this is a system of oppression. This must be dismantled. And as soon as you do, all they do is push it to the next level. Okay, well, what about this one? If you agreed with me that the police were bad, well, what about the political system that made it? Politics made the police, right? Yeah, you already agreed. Sorry. And this is what you get. Here's the opinion piece. Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. Well, they just did that. And what comes next? Meanwhile, as Ilhan Omar calls for dismantling basically the whole system, they will play politics and lie about what's really going on. I heard Ilhan Omar say this. I know she did. I listened to Donald Trump's speech. Who's being honest? The media is not. They, they will ignore what Ilhan Omar says, claim there's no far left. Meanwhile, Donald Trump talks about propping up our heroes, our founding fathers, and they'll say Donald Trump is the one tearing down our system. Donald Trump is the one threatening everything. He's not. Donald Trump talks about making America great again. What does that mean? Eh, you know, depends on who you ask. But we do have serious problems, and I can give you one very simple answer. People ask, when was America great? I'll tell you when. Before we sold our manufacturing base to foreign countries through free trade. Simple as that. We can talk about the need for social justice and racial equality and all those things. But at the very least, can we agree that it's better when Americans actually have their own jobs and we can bring the manufacturing back? Apparently we can't because they just don't like Donald Trump. They want to tear that whole system down. They want our jobs going to foreign countries for whatever reason. I bring you now to a hilarious double standard. Take a look at this story. Donald Trump says flying the Confederate flag is freedom of speech after lashing out at NASCAR for banning it in latest culture war intervention. This is the kind of thing they use to reinforce the lies. Donald Trump gave a speech on on July 3rd at Mount Rushmore where he said, 
Our heroes are under attack. There's a cultural revolution. We just heard it from Ilhan Omar. What does the media say? Donald Trump is propping up the Confederates as heroes. They're not. They're losers. But Donald Trump is not propping up the Confederates. Now, you may say, but wait, Tim, you just showed me this story where Donald Trump says flying the Confederate flag is freedom of speech. He's defending the Confederacy. No, Donald Trump is defending freedom of speech. I can prove it. I can prove that Donald Trump is not defending the Confederacy and its ideals. First of all, you just got to watch his speech from Mount Rushmore. He did not name the Confederacy. He announced a garden of heroes, which includes Harriet Tubman, okay, and the Wright brothers. Yet they would claim he was trying to prop up the Confederates. I bring you back in time. Actually, I bring you to early this morning where CNN published this. Here's what Trump said about Confederate flags in 2015. Back in 2015, then presidential candidate Donald Trump said the Confederate flag belongs in a museum. Really, CNN? That's interesting. They published this today. Why? Because Trump came out and said the Confederate flag shouldn't have been removed from NASCAR. It was an issue of freedom of speech. So they pull a gotcha. Remember when Trump claimed before becoming president that it should be in a museum? They're lying again. In 2015, Donald Trump was asked, do you think that the flag should be flying over a state house? I can't remember which state it was. And he said, I think it should come down, probably come down. You, you can respect it for, you know, what, what you know, what you need to respect it for, but it belongs in museum. I completely agree with that sentiment. I also completely agree with Trump uh, on the NASCAR issue. NASCAR banning the symbol is, I, I, I disagree. Now, listen, here's what I mean to say. Maybe I don't completely agree with Trump. Trump is talking about a freedom of speech issue that I agree with. If somebody wants to fly the flag, good. I don't like the flag. I don't like the Confederacy. You guys know what my family, you know, about, about my family. I talk about it all the time. There's obvious reasons why I don't like the Confederacy. But I don't believe that we should have an authoritarian system where it says where people can't fly the symbols they want to fly. If you want to fly the, the weirdo World War II stuff, I'll know to avoid you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not fond of people flying the Confederate flag for whatever reason. I'll be cordial. I'll be polite. I don't like it. So you look, when I, when I was at a protest in Boston, I saw one guy flying the big old Confederate flag. Me, personally, nah, not a fan. But I am a fan of your free speech, be it the far left's free speech where they were flying the Soviet flag. I hate both of them. Don't care for it. But Donald Trump is talking about your right to have this. It's a private industry. You can fly the flag you want, but they banned it outright, whether the people actually liked it or not. And he's giving his opinion on freedom of speech. CNN tries to gotcha by pointing out that he also correctly had the opinion that it belongs in a museum. That's my opinion. I say take the flags down, put them in a museum. Let people know what they represent. Your heritage, your history is protected. And if some individual wants to fly, I also don't care. I'm just not going to be, I'm not going to hang out with the people who are doing it. Like I, can be, I can be cordial, like I said, but I'm not interested in all that. I don't want to be around that stuff. That's just me personally. If you want to, that's America. You have a right to do so. So what happens? Ilhan Omar is talking about tearing things down, dismantling things. Donald Trump is talking about freedom of speech and protecting history, putting things in museum is a very smart thing to say. I agree. So when Trump comes out and says there's a left wing culture revolution and they lie and they say he's 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 making things up, this doesn't exist. But we can hear it from Ilhan Omar's mouth. This is an example of how they lie, of how they manipulate what he's saying. They don't give you the real context. But I guess most of you know this. That's probably why you follow my content, unfortunately, and I wish more people would. But, you know, whatever, as long as they're I wish more people would listen to other people as well. What I mean to say is I wish more people would be open minded. There's a lot smarter people than I in the intellectual dark web, for instance, that you could be listening to. 
and just listen. Ultimately, everybody should listen to everybody and get a better sense of things and then make up their own minds. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks so much for hanging out, and I will see you all next time.